You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. We are nearing the end of the strangest NHL season of all time, about to enter the strangest NHL offseason of all time, followed by the strangest NHL season to follow these two strange seasons and offseasons of all time. Because we're in the final, the offseason's around the corner, and then the next season's around the corner. How are you tonight, Vardy? I'm good, man. I'm gearing up for all this weird strangeness, if you will. Yeah. I, I'm just waiting for the weirdness to wear off at some point. It just hasn't done it yet. Still waiting. You think it's going to? I think this is just a new normal now. We're just getting used to the weird. Maybe. Maybe like when hockey once again is in October and ends in April or ends in June and then there's a regular summer off season. Maybe that'll be the weird part now. But you do wonder how they're going to do that, right? Because it's when you start late, everything gets thrown off late. Like, yeah, I think it's going to take a couple seasons to to reset that timeline a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, and it also depends on how what happens in the world. Obviously, that's kind of an important. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming, assuming everything. <laughs> yeah, if everything goes. everything went smoothly, I would assume uh, twenty one, twenty two. Am I doing that right? 21-22 would be the normal yeah, season? To, right, because that would also be the summer of the uh, Kraken expansion draft. Yeah. Like, There's a lot that has to kind of – a lot of dominoes have to fall before before all that can happen. But also another thing is they're, they very much are sticking to this 82-game mm-hmm. season thing. And if the season were to start in January – That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, so it once again – so even pushed. if you play a compressed schedule, say you get rid of the bye weeks, say you decide no all-star game, whatever it is. It's still not, yeah. Yeah, you still typically need like seven months or six months to play this out, not including a postseason. And the postseason adds on another two months conservatively. So if you start January 1st even, you're still talking about playing all the way through August yeah. to have all this done. Okay, 22-23. There you go. It, man, how crazy is it to say that out loud? That is really, really something, man, to think that 22-23 is like the next normal hockey season that we're going to see. And that probably will be a reflection onto the world. The earliest that we'll see normalcy is probably around 2022 or 2022. Hold on. <laughs> 2022, 2023. Right. There you go. I got it. Right. It's very strange. Very, very strange. And and uh, like you mentioned, there's still so many variables. So many things can go totally wrong. Um, but I think the NHL has been very fortunate. Actually, the NHL, the NBA have both been very fortunate that their return to play and their bubble systems have actually um, worked out incredibly well. Incredibly, incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, You're speaking of from the health perspective. Correct. The other perspectives, as we'll talk about later, have not been great. Right. But but we'll touch on that because we are still in 2020. And there's a Stanley Cup that's going to be awarded in probably a few few days. Yeah. Because the Tampa Bay Lightning are currently leading the Dallas Stars 2-1 in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Before we go on, i got to give... Props 
words, Duvardi. You called Dallas Tampa Stanley Cup final in September. Um, this is <laughs> of, before of 2019. Yes, you need to, if you're you keeping score at home, now. which you should. 2019 September Vardy called. Calling it in September 2020, not so impressive. <laughs> no. I, I actually still kind of impressive <laughs> but because no one saw Dallas coming. But, um, yes, much more impressive that it was a year ago when this call was made. Um, I called Vegas versus Tampa. You called Dallas versus Tampa. Uh, we were and both, we both sitting pretty in the, in the conference final. We're both yeah. looking pretty good. But, yes, we both have Tampa winning the Stanley Cup in September. Listen, um, bet everything you can next time when we say something. I'm tired of being right. Good is gold, baby. Put all the monies on the line. You don't need a mortgage. Let's just do this. Tell your wife, tell your kids, these guys know what they're talking about. And I know it's a year ago, but I have to ask you, just out of curiosity – and I, I listened back to our episode, and, and you did touch on it a little bit, but I, but I want to kind of see a year later. What were you thinking calling the Dallas Stars to win the Western Conference? Specifically, are you asking me if I believed my own bullshit that I was spewing a year ago? or I'm just curious because, look, Anton Kudobin is clearly <laughs> the main reason they are in this position. September 2019, Anton Kudobin was not a factor in your decision. Wasn't he? And I'm assuming Tyler Sagan was, and he has been no factor in the stars going deep. Yeah, I think I think I convinced myself that they had the depth to pull it off, and that Ben Bishop was a good enough goalie to pull it off. That Jamie Ben was a good enough player. The additions of guys like Pavelski and Perry, like I thought, they had made the right moves, and they had the right framework in terms of their young players like Klingberg. I don't think anyone could have predicted how good Heaskinen has been. But yeah. that's – and I think that's kind of how it always goes, right? Like how do you – like I don't know how often people predict and say, oh, this team is going to win because of reasons X, Y, and Z, and it goes exactly as planned. I think sometimes teams just pull it together – even if the players that you don't that you expect to contribute don't necessarily contribute, but then you have like random dudes like Denis Kurianov and Anton Kudobin, and you know who show up. Joe Pavelski, who I thought was going to be a much better producer through the regular season, was pretty subpar throughout, and then all of a sudden came a light during the playoffs. So I don't know. I think. I think I just thought that they had the right kind of combination of mid-career, late-career, early-career guys with goaltending to pull it off. Now, mind you, this was – I think this was before – I'm before – or maybe it was after. I can't remember now, but before their president called them out for – Yeah. I forget the exact terminology. It wasn't it wasn't chicken shit hockey, but I forget what <laughs> it was. Something along those yeah, lines. I think it was that actually. Was yeah. Well, in any case, off. yeah. And he, you know, it was before all those things happened. It was before Ben Bishop got hurt, and but I don't know. I just yeah, felt it was, like it was before. It was before anyone knew who Joel Kiviranta was. I'm assuming exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think it was at a time where we thought Martin Hansel would still be an active hockey player. <laughs> exactly. 
So a lot has changed since yeah. then. Yeah. But uh, they found a way to make my prediction come to life. And I appreciate that. I don't think Tampa was much of a stretch. No. I did not hurt any muscles making that prediction. <laughs> no. Uh, although, you know, they have been underachieving, but it looks like, it looks like this is the year. And I think once once Vegas was eliminated by Dallas, I, I, I felt like, okay, watch Tampa show them how to yeah. handle this hockey team. Because, yes, they yeah. were on a wave and they were playing tight defensive hockey and they were destroying all the analytics <laughs> darlings and, like, anyone who subscribes to expected goals for and you know all this stuff it just broke every theory they ever had um, you're speaking of dallas beating vegas yes and also dallas beating colorado for that matter right. because both those series the stars were outplayed for most of it i would say uh but they win and that's all that really matters um, right and they won on team defense, and they won on being stingy and being very timely and good goaltending, obviously. But once Vegas was eliminated, I felt that Tampa was going to... First of all, Tampa's better than Vegas. I think on paper, in the way they play, I felt they were better than Vegas. And, and deep down, I felt like Tampa's going to kind of show Vegas how you beat this team. And yeah. th they're in position 2-1. to one. Um, Steven Stamkos showing up in Game 3. Best appearance. Playing two minutes and 47 seconds and making it count, <laughs> as it were. Honestly, what a great story, dude. Like, seriously, hockey needs stories like this. And you could tell from the warm-ups on that NBC was like, we're going with this story right. today. Because, right. like, these happen so r rarely in hockey. To have like a captain who had surgery seven months ago, hasn't been on the ice. His just an injury plate career for such a budding star. And again, another situation where had it not been for the delays from the pandemic, he would not be playing. That's if right. the playoffs were in the regular time frame, he, there would be no chance whatsoever of him playing any minutes whatsoever. Yeah. And I think what it was a second shift, he goes down the wing and just absolutely snipes one. And <laughs> yes, and Kudobin was like way off his angle. <laughs> it wasn't his finest moment. But right. um, what I will take away and I'll always remember is the reaction of the bench, of the lightning bench when he scores. And right there, I was like, this series is over. Yeah. I know it's like hyperbole to say that and it's an extreme comment to make. But in hockey, there are so few like true edges you know what I mean? Between two teams. Yeah. yeah, Tampa's a better team. But you look at a game and you're like, okay, which team has the edge? Like, where do we find that little extra something that a team has? And it's it's very hard to find in hockey more than any other sport because the teams are so close. And, like, when you have something like that, and we've talked about it before years ago when, like, Tyler Toffoli scored that buzzer beater against Boston. Right. Like, that, there it is. Like, there's an edge now this right. team has. Right. This is now an edge the Lightning have, and I think this series is over. And you may very well be right. I again, I I have felt like the story of this postseason has been good teams discovering whether they're good teams or not. You know what I mean? Like Tampa struggled a little bit. I thought in the Islander series, I didn't see them play like Tampa, save for like one, maybe two games. Yeah. And even the first game against Dallas in the Cup Finals, 
they lost and I didn't feel like they looked like themselves at all. But then they came back with a vengeance, the second game, and then the third game, the reasons you mentioned, having the extra juice from Stamkos being in the lineup, playing, scoring a goal. I mean, it's it's blood in the water for them now. And they've got they've got Dallas kind of doubting themselves again. Because let's be honest, I mean, Dallas, Dallas has been riding a high to kind of get to this point. They've been getting contributions, as you mentioned, from dudes up and down the lineup, whereas Sagan has not been really producing much. Ben has been playing well, but not not carrying the team by any means. You know, Heskinen has been their best player aside from Kudobin throughout the series. And even Kudobin has been playing above his pay grade. Let's be honest here. Um, so I think that has been their edge, right? Like getting getting game-winning hat tricks from guys like Kiviranta. And you know what I mean? Like it, there's, there's, there's yeah. been more of like a, a rags-to-riches kind of run, if you will. Tampa's, I feel like, has been more like the longer we go, the more the chances that Stamkos can come back. You know, we're a better team than this. We're a better team than this. And I think they're slowly come to like find that essence of themselves that made them such a dangerous team throughout the regular season. And I agree with you that they may have even been throughout the series, throughout their prior series, the Eastern Conference Finals, kind of looking ahead and going – I don't know, guys. Like Vegas, Vegas will put up a fight. But I think once they saw Dallas, they 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 relaxed a little bit. I think mm. for that first game. Now they're taking it a bit more seriously, and I just don't know if Dallas has enough to get back into it when you've got Tampa firing on all cylinders, like they clearly have been for the last couple of games. Yeah, and if you look at the who's been scoring for each team. So far in the cup finals after three games, like the Tampa guys are showing up, man. You, that last game, five goals by Tampa. You see, you look at who scored those goals. It's their top guys, their five best players. Right. Meanwhile, Dallas is still kind of looking for, you know, Dickinson and Kiviranta and Gurianov. Right. And, you know, Ben's chipping in. Sagan has two goals in 20 games. It's not going to, that's not going to do it, man. Like Klingberg hasn't scored. I think in a little bit. I think Heiskanen got one last game, the second one. But you can't – that's the thing. You can't rely on these kind of journeymen, good story guys to show up and win you the Stanley Cup. Like Dickinson's not – you can't write Dickinson to the Stanley Cup. Especially not against a team like Tampa. Yeah. Maybe if you're playing a team that's a, like a tight-checking, you know, grind-it-out kind of team. But, man, Tampa's got lines. Tampa's got four lines of guys that can like – that can – that can play this game and they can play it fast and cycle. Like they're not a rush team. I think they I, I were, know, like, they were, but like they're not anymore. They're, they're total puck control. Yes. Like you watch this last game and they were, they, that's what I'm saying. That's the transition that I think they have made. I think they were trying to like rush these guys, outskill these guys. And they discovered that like, you know what? We can just dance. We can just keep this puck in the zone and dance and cycle and, you know, and their defensemen activate like crazy, headmen especially. And it is hard for Dallas to keep up with them. Dallas is a good defensive team because they've got a couple good defensemen, but the rest is, is system. Yeah. It's not because, like, they're playing instinctual, great defense and, like, transitioning well with one another. They've been able to limit the shots to being one good shot and then clearing out rebounds because of a system. Tampa, they play systemically well, but they're also talented. 
and it's it's a dangerous combination man it's a dangerous dangerous combination and i you know in all fairness dallas had a good second game and tampa still pulled it off and won because dallas fell asleep at the end so i think it's just they they've given up a bit of the edge as you mentioned that i think they had maybe going into this yeah and really this has been coming from tampa since columbus embarrassed them last playoffs they swept them and as it seems like as soon as columbus swept them tampa made like this decision like okay like what we're doing does not work and come next season we're going to be ready for these teams we're going to be ready for this style of play and you could even see it in their regular season when they weren't just bulldozing everybody right you you could tell they were figuring something out or they were you know whatever you want to call it keeping the fuel in the tank for the playoffs whatever but you could tell it was a team changing or altering their style of play and as and you know if we're not to crown them already but if Tampa wins this cup, I think they owe a lot to John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets because they made them kind of like how, in, if you look historically over great teams, like they lose, they lose before they win. Right. I, I always love those stories. Like if you look at, like the Oilers and Islanders, kind of. Yeah, like that's the that's like a great example of how Wayne Gretzky always said, like after the Islanders beat us for the cup. Uh, right before they won their first cup, they walked past their locker room and they were all beat up. And and the real the people that were celebrating were like family, coaches, and while the players right. were like icing themselves. And right. the Oilers were just walking out like no bumps and bruises. And that's when he understood like, oh, that's why we lost. And right. that's why they won. And and you could go back to like, you know, we talked about the last dance, the Pistons, what they did to the Bulls mm-hmm. consecutive years until the Bulls learned to beat them. And, you know, you let's keep it at home. The Kings... Before they won the Stanley Cup in 2012, they lost two consecutive playoffs in the first round, like face adversity, and, and then they finally got over them. So I, I've always believed like you got to lose before you win, uh, and you know certainly Dallas, should they somehow win the series, will not have learned anything prior to just go straight to the cup. But Tampa, yeah. that's why I'm rooting for Tampa because I think I we've watched the journey, and yeah. I appreciate their journey. So. Flip side of that, what are your thoughts on Vegas then? Because Vegas, obviously a team that played well above what everyone expected, got to the cup finals their very first year. And now on the other side of things, they have done, they have made moves both in the executive and on the, in, the, in the locker room, which they thought were going to improve their chances, right? And instead, they've come up short. Yeah. multiple times now in different ways. And even even if you follow their own, you know, their beat writers and their and their bloggers, et cetera, now you're starting to see some cracks kind of show in what was a pretty feel-good, everyone loves hockey here in the desert kind of story that now all of a sudden you're hearing these murmurs of like – man, the inner workings of this organization are a little mucky. Like, you know, they don't treat people that great. Yeah. Like, is this really, do these people understand what a hockey team or a hockey organization is supposed to be like? So wanted to get your thoughts on, on, on that as kind of a flip side to Tampa. Yeah. Well, okay. So I will get into this, but to me, the, that cup final, oh, what was it? 18, 2018, Washington and. Yeah. Is it? 
I, yeah, I think it was 18. Because 19 was St. Louis, and before that it was Washington. Correct. And 17 and 16 were Pittsburgh. Um, like, that's Washington's story. I know the story was Vegas. Of course. Like, I'm not, you know, blind, deaf, and dumb. Like, obviously the story was, right. like, this expansion team. But, like, it ends up being Washington's story. And it's the story Correct. we just talked about, Tampa. Um, that being said, like, with Vegas... To me, the firing the coach, Gerard Gallant, right there was the beginning of, not the end, because they're still going to be good, and they're still going to make runs. Trust me, this team is good. It, you know, it, they're still going to be fine, but that was the end of, like, the quote-unquote magic. The magic, I think, ended there, because not only do you fire the guy that caught seemingly lightning in a bottle and motivated a team that everyone, including us, including I don't know, probably friggin' Bob McKenzie had dead last in the West and in the NHL that year. Um, and whatever formula he cooked up, it worked. And not only do you fire that guy after seemingly a very short stretch of bad game, I don't think they were that bad. Like, I think they were in a funk, but I don't think they were yeah. that bad where you were like, well, we got to fire the guy who took us to the dance last, whatever. Uh, yeah, it was another year. one of those, like, oh, they had lost three or four in a row or something like that. Yeah. And it was this really weird, like, I'm just not seeing what I want to see. <laughs> you know, like right. some okay. street hockey assessments that sometimes they make, you know, from the, from the front yeah. office. And by the way, they lost in the playoffs on a horrible penalty call. Yeah. Horrible. Like, you know. You can't – I don't think you could just take that and be like, well, we're a failure, uh, especially considering your humble beginnings. You should – you know, that's not a failure. And then, by the way, you go and you hire the guy that eliminated you from the playoffs and the right. fan base seemingly dislikes. Right. Obviously, fans will be fans. They don't – you know, you don't like the coach. Like, it's like if the Kings hired Jacques Demer, I'd be like, Pleh. You know, like after – like right after Barry Melrose, they bring this guy. I'd be like, get this yeah, guy yeah, out of yeah. here, dude. Yeah. Like – uh, so I understand that, but he's also not a great coach in my opinion. And I know you, you had this great line that no one has failed upwards better than no one Peter has. Debert. You're right. No one has. The guy has gone from like not being great. He keeps getting handed teams that are ready to go. Okay. He's never had an NHL team that has been like, Hey Pete, we got some prospects here. We got a couple of veteran guys. We're hoping that you can kind of meld this together and help these guys grow. Every single stop that he's had from when he started coaching in Florida and then made his way to New Jersey, to San Jose, and eventually to Vegas has been, here's a team that's good to go. Someone else has already been through some growing pains. We're going to add a couple pieces here and there, and we expect you to kind of carry them to the promised land. Which is so and, strange because he's not a closer. He has proven time and time again. That's my point. That's my point. He he made the playoffs, I think, once or twice with Florida, and then they did terribly, so he was fired. He made the cup finals with New Jersey. We beat them. And then I think he got – they didn't make the playoffs the following season, so he got fired. He made it with San Jose multiple years, could never get past – Got past, finally got to the cup finals, lost, and then what happens the next season? Team plays terrible, gets – I mean, there's a pattern here, people. There's there's a very clear pattern that this guy, for whatever his reasons may be, and of course, you're not a winner until you win, but he has been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity with teams that are pretty much like 80% there to being complete, and – I don't think he's doing anything special that any other 
decent NHL coach couldn't do to get these teams to that point, I guess is my argument. Like Vegas made it to the cup finals before Peter DeBurr took over. So he didn't yeah. do anything special to get them to the Western Conference Finals. No, like that's, if that's my point. Peter DeBoer, I don't think, could have taken the first year Golden Knights and did with them what Gallant did. I don't think he does that. I don't think he has the capability right. to do that. And that's that's kind of my thought. And it's 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 funny to me. It's funny to me because I just I've never seen a coach get that many opportunities in such a short period of time. Like within a span of a decade, yeah. he's been given opportunities with four different NHL teams that have been good teams, right? Like usually a coach who gets fired gets picked up by a team that's doing terribly, and they need some guy who's going to help them remake things or whatever's going on. But this guy just keeps getting handed opportunities with teams that are right there, and you're like, okay, this is the one. This is the one that's going to yeah. work, and they keep losing. And um, the Mark Andre Fleury thing, which I want to touch on real quick. Yes, the now infamous Twitter graphic of a sword being put through Mark Andre Fleury's back, and it said "Debur on it," posted by uh, Fleury's agent. Uh, is it the incomparable Alan Walsh? Yeah, Alan Walsh. Say Adam Walsh. <laughs> Alan Walsh. Is it petty? Is it childish? Absolutely, but that came from somewhere. There's no 100%. way Mark Andre Fleury was stunned, shocked, and like befuddled by this. Where did it come from, Alan? No, they've had conversations. Fleury has felt slighted by this coach. Um, I don't blame him because again, this guy has gave them two good playoff runs. And I'm not saying, and he, I know he was uh, struggling this year. He was not having a good season, or at least up to his standards. And yeah, you know, Robin Lanner obviously worked out for them it's hard to argue against the move and i don't think i am uh but it did seem like as soon as they got leonard it was like we're going with this guy yeah and that'll piss off any good pro especially a pro like mark andre Fleury. so again it's one of these things is like you took the guy who was quote unquote the face of the franchise and you kind of buried him in the back and it just all this magic and all this good equity you had built up Right, like this, like you said, the feel good Vegas, it's gone. It's yeah. gone. They're they're villains now. <laughs> they're like they're, they're internally villains. This is what I'm saying. Like they they were always villains to the thirty other teams because we were all bitter about like a team who shows up and all of a sudden gets handed like they weren't handed. Okay, no, that's, that's not fair. Like we've talked they, about they weren't this. handed. They were <laughs> not handed. But yeah. like we were just upset about like how does a team like this show up and make a cup final? Like, where do we go from here as fans of any of the 30 other teams who have been struggling and haven't had the good fortune of like the Kings of having seen a, a cup in their lifetime or something like that. Right. So there's, there's some bitterness that's bound to develop from the other fan bases, but you took that, you made that your identity. You made that like, we're the new kids on the block and this is how we do hockey and we have light shows and the blue man group. And this is, this is how we do our hockey. And when you boil it down after three seasons of losing in different ways, you start, you start seeing some cracks. You start seeing some things that every other team deals with and every other sports organization eventually deals with, which is adversity. And the question is how you're going to handle it. And right now, this team is handling it in ways that is leaving its own fan base very, very upset. 
and I'm not making this up. I don't like, I'm not just assuming this, like this is, this is being covered by guys like Sinbin who cover this team, yeah. like on a day to day basis, you know what I mean? So, and he had a great rant after that series ended that I recommend fantastic. to everybody. Um, I haven't always agreed with him, but I'll tell you, he knows what he's talking about and he is pissed and it yeah. is fun because we've yeah. been there. That's identity is the right word you use, man. Absolutely. Because I think they've lost their identity much like how the Kings started losing their identity around 2015 and right. kind of forgot like who they are and their personnel right. no longer matched their style. And it just became this weird team that was bound to lose. Right. But like you said, they're a good team. They're a great team on paper. They still play well. Clearly they can, they can win these games, but when it comes down to like crunch time, to be able to win the games that you're supposed to win, they can't do it. And they've tried now with two different coaches, three different types of rosters. They've brought in guys like Mark Stone, who have been significant additions, both financially and in terms of actual on-ice contribution. And they're right back to where they started. And in fact, a step or two behind. So I, I don't know. I don't know where you go from here because now they've actually – they're they're starting to have some cap issues. They've had to trade away some prospects and picks and stuff. I mean, they're still going to be fine, but it's it's going to be an interesting um, evolution for the team now. Yeah, I uh, think hopefully the well isn't poisoned because there is no coming back from that. If there is like something rotting from the inside, it, there just isn't. There's there's only one road to that, in my opinion, and not you know where it is. <laughs> We've seen it. It's not good. But, but then you get into like then you get into certain things like okay well is George McPhee the right person for this like George McPhee was was GM of the Washington Capitals for the longest time and it wasn't until he was gone that the Caps were able to kind of pull it together and and win is you know Bill Foley's their owner but like how involved is he actually is he you know like does this guy who maybe doesn't have the the longest background in hockey like is he sending things down the chain of command in an old army way like he is just like expecting things to happen is he like jerry jones with the cowboys and stuff like that like i don't know man i don't know you know ultimately like they were a new team and they rode that high and they thought it was all gonna be good and i don't think it's i don't think it's gonna i think they're realizing in a very difficult way that you can have all the right pieces all the right players at everything that you think you're missing and yet still the problems can exist between the ears that make it go to nothing it's completely useless at the end of the season indeed and that That's is right. that is a great decomposition of the golden knights didn't expect that today um but since the whole conversation is about the finals what do you think vardy tampa in five tampa in I think, six i think dallas sneaks one more out okay because because they were still a prideful team and they really want to get one more, but I think it's going to end four two Tampa. Yeah, I have I think six as well. And yeah. it's the same thing. Just such a resilient group. You know, no matter what happens, Dallas is. It's been one hell of a run. Yeah. And uh, the only series where I was like, they are the better team is the Calgary series. After that, they've just been counter punching and, and getting it done. So Tampa and six is my call too. Um, I look forward to that possibly happening because I think number one, it'd be great to get a Stanley cup prediction right for once for both of us. <laughs> nice. The one year I didn't go to Toronto, the, the hockey gods might reward me for that. Um, and also, like we said, the, the personnel, the players, 
they've been through it. I mean, 2015 was their last cup final. They've had a long time to think about it. Right. They've had a long time to go back, a lot of that core. Um, so great for them. Get that trophy. Speaking of trophies, Vardy, the NHL awards. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. What did you think? Did you agree with a lot of these results? I mean, uh, I know there was some controversy. Uh, well, not controversy, but there was debate all the way up until the end about, like, say, the Calder, who deserved yeah. the, who deserved that. Um, the Norris, I was, I was okay with that. I think. Um, when you see getting that, I, I I thought I agreed with the nominees, and um, actually, I take the, I thought Carlson probably would yeah. have done that, but he had that really hot start, and yeah, that was the talk of the entire NHL. I I think we might have even crowned him a little early on that one. I mean, he was playing phenomenal. Yeah. He had like seventy something points, didn't he? Uh, it's it up there. Something strange like that. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, do you do you have any thoughts on? A few. Um, okay. I thought McKinnon should have gone the heart. Mm, That's just over. me. Over, over Dreisaitl. Okay. Um, I think if you look at, again, the language of the trophy is weird, right? It's like the team or the player that is found to be the most valuable to their particular team. Like that's the language mm-hmm. of the trophy. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl won the Art Ross. So right. that should tell you how valuable he is. But he is not the most valuable player on his own team, in my opinion. Now, his points suggest that he might be. But I think game in and game out, a true difference maker, who you take out of the lineup, how it affects that squad, Connor McDavid is that guy on that team, no yeah. matter what. And you can't convince me otherwise of that. Artemi Panarin finishes third. That see, that's a guy that I look at and I say, okay, that makes sense. Although you could argue that uh, Mika Zibanejad was just as valuable to the Rangers this past season as Artemi Panarin was. You mm-hmm. can make that argument. The argument you cannot make is who the most valuable player on the Colorado Avalanche is. Sure, there's sure. it's just not even close. Like yes, Rantanen is a great player, but c- come on, you know there is no. There is no almost equal to Nathan McKinnon. He also he also finished second, and he, I think the point gap from first to second on the Colorado Avalanche was immense, and I think it was McCarr who was second. I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure on that. But it was a big, big gap. The biggest gap of the finalists for sure. Um, and that's, that's my thinking. That always kind of makes sense to me. I think Dreisaitl is not, not deserving – I just think he wouldn't get my first place vote. I understand. I get that. I get that. Um, Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation for him, right? Because he's clearly a great player, but it's also very obvious that he benefits from teams having to worry about both him and McDavid anytime that they're playing them, right? And I, I get, I get your logic because anytime someone's playing Colorado, yes, they're, you know, when they're drawing on the whiteboard and everything. Yeah, they're talking about Ranton and they're talking about Landeskog, but like every single night someone someone's trying to coach on how to stop Nathan McKinnon. Right? Like that's that's strategy number one is stop McKinnon. And I don't know how often people roll into Edmonton and go, 
what we need to worry about first and foremost is stopping Dreisaitl, yeah. and then maybe we'll worry about McDavid. Like, I, I just don't see it that way. Um, to that same effect, I think Pasternak is the most valuable player for the Bruins. I realize Marshawn, Bergeron, like these are great players, but the engine that drives the Bruins' success right now, in my opinion, is is David Pasternak. He is. So I, I get where you're coming from from that standpoint. I do. And I, I, I would probably agree with that. I would agree with that, I think. But then you get the other people who will argue that, well, does that mean that Dreisaitl is never going to deserve this trophy as long as he plays on the same team as McDavid. Hey, man, Mark Vinci right? yeah. had to leave the Oilers to win a heart. That's just the yeah. way it is. Or Gretzky yeah. had to leave the Oilers for Messi to win a heart. Right. Like, cry me a river, dude. I'm sorry. You have two two of the top five forwards in the NHL. That's that's how it goes when you have the best player in the world on your team. Yeah. So, okay, uh, let them win a Stanley Cup, and I bet you they would trade all their – individual trophies for it so, i'm sure they would i'm sure they would but and you know you're again we're talking about teams that can't quite figure out what they're doing wrong sure. man there's so many questions on the oilers so yeah what uh, about uh what about the vesna i wanted to ask you about yeah, that yeah that was i don't think it's wrong right yeah sorry i don't think it's it, i don't think it's like again the hell of a book had a great season man he really did I guess my heart kind of goes out to Vasilevsky because at this point it's like, it's like, what's he got to do? Yeah. Right. Um, but Tampa didn't have like a phenomenal season. Um, so if I'm just looking strictly at the finalists, I got to think that Rask would probably be my pick just because Boston just continues to do well. And he had a, he had a really good season, especially considering he, he had the best numbers. He I had mean, the best numbers. Right. And yeah. Of of those three guys, yeah. he had the best numbers. I mean, the only thing that Hellybook even beats him on is shutouts by one. But you look at like goals against, the safe percentage, shutouts. He's he's the only one amongst the nominees who's top three in all of those categories. Yeah. And I'm sure wins as well. I'd have to look. I think I think Hellybook got the benefit of playing on a worse team than than the other two. Then Vasilevsky and Rask, and I think that's where the votes kind of came from for him. Yeah, not not like a pity thing, not a pity thing, but I think it's one of those. It's one of those. It's kind of a a counter heart argument where a lot of people say that like you can't be the heart trophy winner if your team doesn't make the playoffs, right? Because like, how valuable were you if you couldn't even drag your dead ass team to the playoffs? Which I think is a bullshit argument, but. That's neither here nor there. I think Hellebuck got the reverse, where in a very weird season, his team somehow made the playoffs, if you want to consider it that, or made the play-in round. And he had good numbers, despite the fact that the team in front of him was not as good as Tuka Rask's and Vasilevsky's. And so that's where yeah. he got he got his votes from, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised Markstrom didn't get one first-place vote. I really was surprised by yeah. that. He had a really good season, man. And you look at a team that like turned it around fast, and who was the straw that was stirring that drink? It was it was Markstrom. I think more than any other forward, obviously, Pedersen deserves a tremendous amount of credit. But if you look at what was a just a huge performance from that team, who ends up like 
actually making some noise in the playoffs. Um, I think it was Markstrom. Granted, I don't think you know he would have won it or anything like that. I'm just surprised he didn't have one first place vote. That's yeah. kind of surprising to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Vesna is a weird trophy like that, man. Like really, the numbers for a goaltender are so heavily dependent on his team that it's really hard to say. Like goals against average is a team statistic. Yeah. Save percentage is a team statistic. You know, you don't know where those shots are coming from when you look at the right. same percentage. So it's, you know, that's why when I look at this list, I'm like, okay, which goalie like made the biggest difference on their team? Markstrom is the one that jumps out to me. I, again, that's, I think that's a very legitimate argument. I do. I do think that's a, and these are tough, man. I think They're, they are tough, especially in a weird season like this. I, I don't envy the people who had to vote for these things because you have to like, this is supposed to be based on regular season. Well, who even remembers the entire regular season that started like a full calendar year prior? And now you're going to vote for these things. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's, this is a a tougher year than most to vote for it. I think the, the um, Calder between Makar and Hughes, you really could have gone either way. Like both of those guys are just going to be the same you know, they're going to be doing this for the Norris basically for the next decade, yeah, I think. I will say, though, again, shocked that Dominic Kubelik didn't get one first place vote. Isn't I that think, that's crazy, man? Adam think, Fox got a first place vote. Not that he didn't deserve it, but dude, it's 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 a little bit of the media hype as well, right? Like when the entire discussion through the year is Hughes, McCarr, Hughes, McCarr, Hughes, McCarr. Yeah, yeah it's tough to kind of overcome that noise. So I understand it's, but as we've known, like the Calder can be such a random trophy, like Andrew Raycroft won the Calder, you know, like, right. <laughs> you could be Luke Robitaille or you could be Andrew Raycroft and Calder means Barrett Jackman has a Calder. <laughs> like, who gives a shit? Uh, shout out to Matt Roy getting one fifth place vote. <laughs> that's what we do the king's defensemen get one fifth place vote they're allowed that maybe those i think there was gan matsuda throwing those out. probably i was gonna say it's one, one for matt roy and uh one for dewey it's probably it's probably a king's beat writer it didn't did, did Kobe get any selkie votes i haven't well I'm, actually i was just about i was just about to roll into the selkie uh yeah he got he didn't get any first place but he was actually seventh in voting he really? got three, or he got two third place votes, four fourth place votes, and eleven fifth place votes. Mm. So he's always gonna he's gonna be hanging around. Um, I will say, Mark Stone, I thought would yeah. be a little higher than five, although that's pretty high. But I did not think that Anthony Sorelli would be <laughs> getting more votes for him. Anthony Sorelli got more first place votes than Ryan O'Reilly, who was third. The uh, interesting, very Valery Nichushkin got votes. <laughs> These are so funny. Have you known Valery Nichushkin to be a like a two? I've never even. I have never thought of. I'll be very honest with you. I have never once thought of Valery Nichushkin's game. Period. Okay. Cool. Much less to be like how one way, two way, or however many ways he is. 
there's always been weird votes on the Selkie. I remember a few years ago, some Islanders writer had Casey's Azikas as first place for the Selkie. This is the year that Kopitar won it, I think, the first time. And I was just like, dude, I could be a writer. Like, this is not, yeah. it's not complicated. Uh, no surprise on, to me, no surprise on the finalists. If you look at it, just if you just kind of glance at it casually, Couturier, Bergeron, O'Reilly. I think three kind of deserve that man. He's, he's really developed into a phenomenal two way player. And I can't honestly tell you that that's how he was drafted to be. It's, it's interesting sometimes like these guys get drafted as one thing and then evolve their game into something else. Like I, I seem to remember him being drafted as kind of more of an offensive force and he never really was that. And then slowly by becoming more of a two way player, now all of a sudden he's actually doing a lot more on offense as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, he's a legit, like, Flyers MVP candidate, internally mm-hmm. speaking. Like, he's he's that guy. Uh, really surprised that Barkov got no love whatsoever. After winning it? Like- yeah, like, no love. Like, it's one thing to be like, he was hovering around the Kopitar territory. He was way down there. Um, Braden Point got a few votes, and I think that's another guy that you, you might be looking at in the future to be in this category more times than not. Yeah. It's, I I wonder if like after giving it to Bergeron for so many years in a row, there's kind of this like unspoken thing now that people just don't want to vote for the same guy over and over again. You know, like he's really got to commit that that he's earned it. I guess. But I mean, he's, you know, he's always, he's always going to be there until he retires. Are you talking about Bergeron? Yeah, he yeah. deserves it. Of course he does. Yeah, but you know, it's it's like the Nicholas Lidstrom thing. That okay? <laughs> are we going to give it to anyone else? Are we going to try to? And and ultimately, you just kind of land on the same thing again. Right, right. Uh, Jack Adams. Who won the Adams? I can't even Cassidy. remember. Sure. Boston. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess. Um, I really thought Vigneault might have snagged. I thought you look at a team that like really yeah exceeded because that's that's what it is, right? Team that exceeded expectations award. Right. I don't think Boston. No, Boston definitely didn't exceed expectations. But I think um, I think this is again where the sheer length time wise of the season really hurt them because. The Flyers were on one hell of a run right. when all of this kind of ended, and I think if the voting was happening at that time, he would have he would have been able to lock that down pretty easily. Right, um, Tortorella, deserving finalist, I think. Again, with the losses of players over the last few seasons, for Columbus mm-hmm. to still be a playoff team and a dangerous team is credit to him. Um, obviously, now in hindsight, Rick Bonus. <laughs> <laughs> didn't get much love. I mean, he got some votes, but you know, when you look back at it, dude, like he did a great job. Barry Trotz got almost no love at all, and I, I, th- I thought he did a great job. Even John Cooper to take this team and kind of make the necessary adjustments. But again, no one's gonna look at Tampa Bay and be like, "Wow, you know, <laughs> like we didn't yeah. expect them to do all this damage." Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's. Again, another trophy that the rules kind of the goalposts kind of move. Yeah, I think uh, I think Trotz is going to end up getting some sort of a lifetime achievement coaching award at some point because he just proves 
year after year that he can he can take an okay team and make them way better than you expect them to be. Like yeah. I don't know how many people actually expected the Islanders to just go the Islanders to go as far as they did in the uh, in the postseason. But yeah. uh yeah. Yeah. So should we talk for? a little bit about the bubble? We can talk about the bubble because it has now become kind of a conversation piece thanks to an article on ESPN and Greg Wyshynski right. covering the bubble. You And Emily Kaplan. And Emily give, Kaplan, yes, yes, right. my apologies. Um, you you kind of brought it to my attention first. I had kind of seen it on my Twitter feed and I was like, this is probably going to be a long read, so I'll figure out when to do it. Uh, but you kind <laughs> you of... You are not wrong. Yeah, you kind of urged me to read it and I'm glad I did because it was as fascinating a hockey article as you're probably going to find not only this season, I can't like, there are just not many truly behind the curtain articles like this and the anonymous nature of it, of course, makes it so captivating. Uh, but essentially it's an article about life in the bubble and not as glamorous as you might've thought to sum yeah. it up. Yeah. I think it all kind of starts with the fact that the NHL for, um, for reasons of keeping the bubble safe from the pandemic, like really limited the people that were going there in terms of media, in terms of who could actually be there and cover and what they could write and not write about. And so it created this air of mystery, if you will. And then obviously getting some leaks from the personal accounts of the players that were there you started seeing like some weird speculation like i remember when the caps got eliminated there was there was all this talk of like well did you see their videos they were like having mimosas on the on the rooftop pool that's not a team that's going to go very far on the play it's like okay well what else are they supposed to do there's nothing they do there they just need to be and watching tape the whole time just tape, exactly. tape tape Exactly. God, exactly. I hate this shit um, so much. But no, seriously. But and then obviously with Rask leaving, like the criticism that he had to endure of like, you know, the fans who know better than anyone. The you make, <laughs> I mean, you you could almost play bingo with this card of like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's got you make millions? Stop complaining. I work a nine to five job and I make seven dollars an hour. Like don't check, for, don't forget, uh, I pay your salary or oh, I that's bought a good your one house. Too. That's a good one, too. Or, uh, oh, he's abandoning the team. This is not what hockey's about. Yeah. You know, so many so many good, you know, pick your excuse. Are, are you of. sure Mike Milbury didn't just say all these things <laughs> in one segment? He probably did. Okay, just checking. He probably did. But the point is that those from the outside passed these judgments because we were all enduring the pandemic and – having parts of our lives limited and now you look at these players who let's face it are playing for our entertainment i realize it's a job for them but the job exists to entertain us and we we're all very happy to have them back and playing because it gave us something to watch and forget about all those other random things that are ruining our lives and in that hostility i think people were very quick to judge and quick to get on these players whenever a they either didn't play the the way that they expected them to or b decided to leave the bubble the way the rask did well it turns out 
the bubble's not so fun. <laughs> the bubble was kind of a bait and switch for the players as well, apparently. Like, they were promised a lot of things when they went there, not the least of which was that at some point their families would be able to come and join them, um, which they were not able to through visa issues, legal issues, and quarantine issues. So all of these players from Dallas and Tampa now who have been in the bubble for going on two plus months, they were promised that at some point their families would be able to come and join them. And that has not happened. Um, they were promised that there would be things for them to do like golf and, you know, watch movies or do things that you would expect that if you were in a quarantined, you know, three to four block city area, you'd be able to do these things. They're not allowed to do that. All they can really do is go to the game, go back to the hotel eat go back to their room i mean it's it's kind of like a fancy prison it's almost like house arrest in a lot of ways yeah <laughs> the, way they, the way they made it sound and to kind of further piggyback off that prison thing teams that had more resources that had more right. money like the montreal right. canadians right got got to have better amenities like better right. meals higher quality food <laughs> and that alone is is well, the really? higher seats were even the higher seats. Yeah, they yeah. were talking about how, like, if you were a team that was higher seated, you got better rooms, you got the better floor, you got the rooms that were on the outside of the hotel looking outside versus like Florida, who apparently got rooms looking inward, so all you could see were other windows. I mean, again, this doesn't sound that bad if you're just doing it for a weekend, but like, if potentially you're going in there, you're abandoning everyone you know, and the thought is you're going to have to live here for as long as you continue to play hockey well, at what point does that start kind of seeping into how well you play hockey that like, maybe I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it does not sound fun at all. And as much as these guys want to win a championship and the Stanley cup is what they've dreamed of their, since they were little boys, yada, 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 yada. This is a tough situation. And, I wouldn't be like there's nothing wrong with losing and being relieved to go home. Like this is a very extreme situation and the Tampa Bay Lightning and Dallas Stars now that they've come come this far I'm sure they would hate to lose because they're here sure. anyway. Sure. Obviously, but you know, the whole Washington thing, yeah, maybe let's say the Caps did want to go home. Good for them. Good for them. That means they get to go home and someone else gets to win. It's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. And if you read this article, and I really urge you to do so, um, you will see how difficult this entire process has been for some teams. And furthermore, you will understand that this cannot happen next season. Yeah. It just yeah. can't happen next season, especially for 82 games. Or yeah. even if you like have multiple bubbles or I don't know. I don't even know how the logistics would work, but it just it cannot happen. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's interesting because the NBA is obviously doing their version of this. Um, and I don't know what their plans are for the following season, because I can't imagine that they're going to do it. And then you have the NFL who's doing no bubble whatsoever. Like their, their people are getting tested, but they're traveling. Um, some stadiums are allowing actual fans to be there and everything. So, um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. They're I, only a couple of weeks in in the NFL now. I think that's should the NFL be moderately successful. I think that's that, the model. I think that's what you got to go with. Yeah. I think it, that you know the bubble is not working. 
right? For, at least for hockey. Yeah, it's working. And again, they say this in the article, and the players themselves admitted if the point was to prevent infection, if the point was to prevent spread, and to keep everyone who's in the bubble oh, yeah. safe, they have done that. Working like gangbusters. Exactly. Masks are enforced. Like there's alarms. There's all sorts of stuff. Like that was priority number one, and they succeeded in doing that. Kudos to them. Hands off. I mean, I, I am not hats off. I'm not about to criticize them at all for that because that should be the goal. And but I th- and a lot of the players acknowledge that that was the primary goal. But for the same reason that you just mentioned, if we're doing the bubble as kind of a test run of what the next season could be like, should be like, how are we going to continue this process? Because clearly the pandemic's not going away anytime soon you can't do this for an entire season. I don't know how you would do this with 30 teams an entire season. Like, you know, the NBA apparently when they allowed some families to come there, like they had, they had schools and teachers and stuff hired to be able to like teach the kids and the NHL players were just like, that was a fantastic idea. Why was that never offered to us? You know, like, so I think the logistics of being a human being start to outweigh the importance of being an athlete at some point yeah which <laughs> you would think that i wouldn't cra- have yeah, to say that crazy. right like it sounds crazy to hear that uh but you know just put this on the list the very long list of things the nba does better than the nhl obviously resources are a big thing obviously we understand the revenue difference between these two leagues we get it uh, yeah but i think the main gripe the players had was that all it required was just a little bit of planning. It's not, right. you know, they're not asking for the moon. They're asking for very basic kind of things that it had the NHL just planned a little better. Uh, and listen, it's the first time I get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not completely shitting on the NHL here. It's a very unique, extreme situation, and they everyone's doing the best they can. I get that. Uh, but when you look across and you see another league had prepared a little better, um, had planned better and, and took other things into consideration. It just, you wish the league you love the most did the same as a fan. Yeah. And obviously as a player, the league that you play for took care of you a little better. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, again, reading the articles are really the best way to kind of get this, but like they, they basically, every single player is like, I'm not so much upset that I couldn't play golf or that I couldn't go bowling. I'm just upset that like the communication was so poor right. that we were told so many different things at so many different points in time and none of them came to fruition. You know, that's, that's frustrating. That's <laughs> frustrating from like anyone's standpoint. I think if someone keeps telling you that they're going to do something or this is coming and that's coming and you, you build expectations in your head and then you put in this scenario of like, you live here now, buddy, what are you going to do about it? You know, <laughs> the first thing I thought of, and it's not even a fair comparison, but it's hilarious is the fire festival <laughs> where, the, where the ads were all like, this is going to be the greatest experience ever. Supermodels, gourmet food. And it's like a, just a bunch of tents, and like, like a cheese sandwich. Oh, it, that's it, it. That's the first thing I thought. Of. I was like, wow, they, it's like the fire festival, except just that, that fire festival bed. documentary. I still remember the first time that the bus kind of pulls up and the chicks like videotaping and she finally, she gets a glimpse of what, where it's going to be. And she doesn't even get off the bus. She just goes, turn it around. <laughs> 
that is a great documentary that I will never get tired of watching. It is like a disaster doc. I think they created a whole new genre. Um, a great, great film. <laughs> please, please watch it. Uh, and and you know, I I don't. I'm not gonna hate on influencers or anything, but a small part of me was like you kind of deserve it <laughs> just a little bit one percent one percent because it's something that we could laugh at now i mean it's not like they were tortured or anything but yeah uh, did it uh, read the article then watch the documentary and that's then right i want to see your notes that's right <laughs> comparing and, and then and then try to figure out a way that we can actually have next season which is like you said i think it's probably going to be empty arenas lots of testing yeah i think that's feasible i think, I think that's so feasible. too i mean Again, the NFL is going to be like kind of this baseline test for it, I guess. Because and they are such large teams, too. It's not right. like they're rolling it's with a lot like 30 of personnel. guys. Yeah. And they're going to have some positive results. I think they've already had a couple people who have been like either exposed or have come back positive, And so they've been quarantined from their teams. But um, plus once this is all over, the NHL is going to have another three or four months that gives more time to kind of figure out a better plan, you know, but I, I still don't know um, in terms of like attending hockey games, if they do allow it in certain arenas, it's going to be like 10 to 15% or 25% attendance. I imagine something like that. 500 bucks a ticket. <laughs> exactly. And you can, uh, probably can't get any concessions or anything. Right. I, I, I doubt they're going to allow any of that stuff. Um, Which would we'll be, man. But it's a lot of revenue, man. Yeah, that's man, a that lot. overhead, that's a lot of bleeding. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't even know how this even works from a business perspective for these teams, dude, because that is so much lost money. Especially for a, a smaller league like the NHL. I mean, the NFL right. is printing money. Right. Uh, team. Most of these teams are printing money even without – well, they have like bigger TV contracts. They yeah, have like things that make them. They have they they have things that make them money, even if there's no fans in attendance. Yeah, but the NHL really doesn't have that. It's just a bunch of revenue sharing for a lot of these teams, and I I don't know how that's going to work. It's so hopefully they they figure some things out before January comes, because doing another bubble is just it's not going to happen. The number one thing to me is like, why are we pushing this eighty-two game thing so hard? Like yeah, everyone I've heard, like Gary Bettman, whoever, every time they find a friggin' microphone, they're like, eighty-two games. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, especially when that's been a point of contention for many, many years from the NHL players. Like, less games means less injuries, means more time to recover. If you're already compressing the schedule from one season to the next, like why would that not be the first thing that you consider doing is trimming this down and making it like a yeah, once, 64 game schedule or something. Once again, in a very extreme, hopefully once in a lifetime kind of situation uh, to even not budge on that in this scenario is very odd to me. Very, very yeah. strange. I don't know what yeah. the NBA is doing. I know they're going to start around the same time, but I don't know the number of games they're planning on doing, but yeah. something tells me they'll come to the right decision <laughs> because that's usually <laughs> what they do. It's episode 59. It is. It is indeed episode 59. We can just skip this if you want. Because I just, I'm just curious who wore this friggin' number. That's all. I, I Again, it's been a while. Unfortunately, we say this every time that like we're going to we're going to do a better job. We're going to record every two weeks. But somehow, even in the midst of all this stuff keeps coming up. Yeah. Like children. Yeah. 
children. So there has been one guy who wore it, and it was this year. I hate him already. He should. He, wait, this year? Yes. Is the first player to wear Yes. Okay. Oh, man. That, that in and of itself means we should talk about this. Wow. And I actually remember this guy playing a game for the Kings. He's about as journeyman as journeyman get. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm assuming he has, he's had a lot of minor league time. Let me see here. Uh, where's the minor league stats? Yeah. That's some decent AHL time. I'm not going to get it. Tim Schaller. As I said, I was right. I wasn't going to get it. Tim Schaller, welcome to the 59 club. He's, he's the only one. He's a singular. carrying single member. But you know what's funny? This is not a random number for him. He has worn the number 59. Oh, this is his number. This is his number. He has it tattooed on his arm or some crazy shit like Buffalo that. Buffalo Sabres from 2014 to 2016, 59. Boston Bruins, 2016 to 2018. Vancouver, 2018 to 2020. And the Kings, 2019, 2020. Tim Schaller always rocks 59. Wow. I, now I need to know why. There, there must be something the behind same, this. Same reason Roman Yossi wears 59? Maybe, but at least that's Yossi's like, only team. Like I don't know. Maybe maybe he got stuck with that number initially and he just went with it because some other veteran had that number. But Tim Schaller, that, and clearly this is not a number that anyone likes. He's been able to go to four teams and no one's caught him <laughs> on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> No trips to Hawaii for him. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't had to buy anyone a Rolex to get the 59 off their back or anything. Um, so, what? I don't know. He better not try to go to Nashville. He's going to be sorely disappointed. He's going to have to wear 95 there. Oh. But I don't know. I don't know. Actually, no. Matt Duchesne, I think, has dips on that, right? Where does Matt Duchesne play now? Nashville. Yeah, I think he wears 95 there. Does he wear 95? Uh, anyway. Doesn't matter, Tim Schaller. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna be having that issue anytime soon. Now I gotta know what does he wear ninety five? I thought he, he might did. be right about ninety four. He wears ninety. No way. No, hold on. No, it's he's 95. right. You're right. Ninety five. Ninety five. Sorry, I searched Matt Duchesne, and they brought up a photo of, I think it's Pickard who got traded <laughs> to Colorado for Duchesne, and he he was wearing ninety four. How about that? Wow. This is like that movie with Jim Carrey. <laughs> oh, God. The number 23. What a bad movie. Was it, was it Pickard? Or did they just put the wrong photo of someone on here? No, it was, yeah, it was Sam Gerard. Yeah, I think he was wearing, he wore 94 in Nashville. Weird number trade. And now he wears number 49. So. My God. What a rabbit hole you've I am. I am, <laughs> I, I am not happy to be at the bottom of this rabbit hole. I sincerely apologize. This is a terrible ending to this episode. It's okay. We'll, we'll clean it up in post. Episode 60 is next. That's exciting. That is. That is. We, we've made it. And by episode 60, we will have uh, a new Stanley Cup champion. And by episode 60, will it be draft time already? 
Probably. I forget when the draft is. Yeah. So don't either. So it's October. It is, but like they moved it up. Oh, yeah. They yeah they moved it up a couple of days. Anyway. Anywho. It's possible that by the next time we talk to you guys, we'll be reviewing the Kings draft because I don't know what else might come up between now and then that would be worth talking about. Nice setup. Nice setup, buddy. We'll see you then. We're excited. Take care, guys. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast.